we should uh, live in, in, in terms of our church covenant. And we're going to kind of look at this from the scripture. So typically, if you are a guest here, what we typically do here is we take a passage of scripture and kind of walk through it book by book, verse, uh, verse by verse, book by book, because we think God's, work is, God's word is the most important thing uh, for God's people. And occasionally, every now and again, we'll, we'll stop from that and we'll kind of have a series intermingled. And this is one of those series. So we pray to be encouraging and challenging to you and all of us here. Uh, well, as God's word's about to be read, we want to make sure that we are ready to receive it. And as we do here, we want to pay uh, reverence to the word of God as it's about to be preached so that we would be humble and submit to it. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. Now, therefore, O God, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people. Since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept our law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you now. We have praised your name. We have offered confession. Uh, We have uh, come to you in in giving and song. We come to you now, Lord, asking more of you. Lord, it says in your word that you delight to give good gifts to your children. And you tell us to ask, so we do so. We first, Lord, ask that you to bless those who are sick among us. And we pray that you would be with uh, Owen McKee, Ira Williams, uh, Carrie Luke, Mary Boyd, David Williams, Pat West, Pat Burkett, Faye Branham, Lillian Huffstedler. God, we thank you so much for all of our, our shut-ins who aren't able to be with us but love us so dearly. Father, we pray that you would minister to their hearts today. We pray that you would be with uh, Jerry Green and Ken Tetter. God, that you would give them strength and victory uh, in their health, Lord. Uh, Father, we pray also that you would give them faith to continue to believe and trust your promises. Father, we do pray again, Lord, for the reconciliation of your people. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to unite your people uh, to one another. Father, we pray that you would unite marriages that have uh, a husband and wife who have started to drift. Father, we pray that you would re, um, re, um, reconcile, Lord, uh, children who have gone away from you, children to parents, God. Father, you are so good to us in so many ways. So, Father, we pray that you would show the reconciliation of your people as a sign of your goodness to the watching world. Father, we do pray for our world, uh, the world that desperately needs your gospel. We pray for the people of Puerto Rico this morning, God. We pray that you would soften their hearts, that they would hear and believe uh, the gospel. Father, we pray that you would guard our tongues, that we would speak nothing of that which is but is pleasing to you. Uh, Father, we thank you for Victor and his, his hospitality to our 
to our group. We pray, God, that you would just bless his congregation, form him into more and more into the likeness of, of Christ. Father, we do pray for our nation, Lord. All the things that are coming down our, our, the pipeline for our nation, God, Independence Day. And, and we pray, God, for the coming election. We pray that you and your, and your goodness would just uh, continue to allow your people to bow before you and not Caesar. God, we pray that we would be faithful citizens, but God, that we would know that our, our kingdom is not of this world, but we are part of a kingdom that will never be shaken. Father, we pray now for the, the preaching of your word. I pray for this message, God, that you would just give us eyes to see the importance of the local church, uh, that we would see the importance of uniting together in the cause of Christ. Uh, Father, there's so many people who, who believe so many things about the local church. God, we pray that Park Baptist Church would be a faithful gospel witness in this community. Uh, Lord, she has stood here for over 100 years. We pray, God, that you would bring her even more fruit um, in the days, weeks, and months ahead. So we pray now, Lord, that the words that I speak would be your words, that I would hide myself behind the cross, that I may decrease, that you may increase, that you would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would exalt him above all things. Father, we pray that you would unite us around the cross. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The church of Ephesus had a powerhouse of preachers. It had the Apostle Paul, who started it. It had Timothy, uh, the apostolic representative. It had the Apostle John, who wrote uh, a quarter of the New Testament. And do you know how long the church of Ephesus lasted? Maybe 40 years. The church at Ephesus, who had all these great preachers who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, disintegrated to false gods and false idols within 40 years because, as Revelation 2 says, they began to lose their first love. They began to lose their love for Christ and what he has done for them and for one another. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, I just want to try to lay out how we can continue to go forward uh, as a church body so that we won't be like the church of Ephesus or so many churches around uh, our nation who are closing their doors every single year. Uh, so we're going to talk about the idea of church covenants. Uh, now, if you open up your Bibles to Church Covenant Chapter 1, you won't find it there, right? There is no specific place in the scriptures that, that church covenants exist. Uh, many people will think of the idea of church covenant, and the first thing that will come to your mind is, this seems very legalistic, right? I thought that we're called to be Christians of faith. Why all these, these covenants, these, these promises? Well, here's one of the reasons why. The reason why churches have used church covenants all the way since the early first century is because... The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a visible community. That's important. Uh, back in the days of Israel, Israel had geographic boundaries. So they had physical boundary lines that marked off the people of Israel. If they were in that country, they were an Israelite. Well, now as Christians uh, of, of the new covenant, we don't have physical boundary lines. So we can't go into a, a town and say this is a Christian town. Well, because the kingdom that we, are, we serve is not of this world. So how is the world going to see the visible representation of the body of Christ, the church? Well, I think one of the ways we do that, it's how we live, how we function together in, 
as a body. It's, it can't simply be a mere profession of faith. There's a lot of people who, who say they have faith in Christ, but saying you have faith in Christ does not prove that you actually have faith in Christ. It's still invisible. It needs to be seen. It can't merely be location. There are people in this block who are believers and unbelievers. You know, North Jones, Main Street. It can't merely be baptism. Baptism does not connect people to a specific local church, but to the church of Christ. should connect people to a particular local church. That's a whole other conversation. What we're going to look at today is the idea of what happened to the exiles after they were taken to Babylon and they were turned back to Israel. And what, what, they, what they did is that Nehemiah wrote a covenant. Right? They bound themselves together. So I'm just going to make a, a point today. I think there's five. There may be more right? Uh, points of why a church covenant is valuable. Do you know that as a member of Park Baptist Church, you are under a church covenant? Now, we have a church covenant in our Constitution. I think there's been more than one that this church has had over the years. Uh, the latest one was probably 1940s when it was established. Uh, the, the, the one that I'm going to kind of propose to you and what I want to our church to adopt was probably written in the, by when our church was founded, late 1800s, early 1900s. Let's just kind of walk through this. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is the church covenant renews our privilege. The church covenant renews our privilege. Uh, if, if you go to Nehemiah with me, Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. What you see here is the people of God are gathered. They just heard the word of God read, standing, a beautiful picture in Nehemiah 8. And then they start confessing their sins. And I just want to show you a few things in this prayer. What I want you to notice is that God is really good. God is awesome, glorious, and he is so faithful to his people. And yet his people consistently turn away. We, as that great hymn of the faith says, are prone to wander. Look at what chapter 6 says. Chapter 9, verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heavens and the heavens of heavens. With all their hosts, the earth that is all that in the seas, all that is in them, you preserve all of them. The host of the heavens worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Verse 8. You found his heart faithful before you, and you made with him a covenant to give his offspring to the land, the land of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Pezzarite, Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Beloved, before we even go forward, God is the God of promise. If you've noticed anything else going through Genesis, is that God keeps his word. God makes promises, and he keeps it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. But look what it goes on. Verse 9. You saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt, heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. You knew they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. Jump to verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commands. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. That's what you see again and again in the, New Testament, or in the Old Testament. You see God being faithful to his people, 
showing them goodness, plenty, rejoicing. And then you see God's people turning away in arrogant and stiffness. So the stiff, a stiff neck is stubborn. They chose to follow their sin rather than follow the Lord. That, 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 that temptation is the same for any individual as well as any community. Right? God is good to the people, and as soon as God shows us his blessing, his kindness, and his mercy, what are we tempted to do? To turn our back towards him, to not see his, his hand. But the first thing I want to say is that when you get a church covenant, it is a privilege. It is a privilege for you to be part of the body of Christ. It is a privilege and an honor for you to be connected to a church. Why? Because you deserve to die because of your sin. The Bible says that you are under God's wrath and you deserve to pay for your sin for all eternity. In a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm does not quench. Every single person who has lived and breathed, who has committed sin, that is their, 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 what, is their, what, is their what they deserve for their sin. And yet... We will not go to hell. We will go to glory. Why? Because Jesus Christ entered into our world and took our sin upon the cross, was dead and buried, and was raised on the third day so that we have hope. So when we are connected to a church, we, have, we always have to remember that we have been bought with a price. Jesus Christ, it cost God the, the blood of his own son to bring us into the church. So, beloved... It is a joy to serve in the nursery. Amen. It is a joy to serve as an usher, even when we don't have ushers. Right? It is a joy. Why? Because it's a privilege to serve Christ. He gave up everything for you. So why not give up everything for him in, in the smallest of ways by giving up your, your, your money or your time or your talents for the, for the glory of Christ in the church? So normally when you talk about a church covenant, sometimes you get this, well, I don't like church covenant. I don't like all that legality. Okay. But here's what, here's what I, would, I would challenge you. This isn't a have to. This is a get to. You get to obey God in connection with God. His body. That is a privilege and a joy. And that should, that should bind us all together. So when we are serving behind the scenes, like so many of you do, uh, to get things ready for a Sunday morning, serving behind the scenes and cooking people meals and, and caring for one another, we often are tempted to think what I am doing for God rather than what I get to do for the Lord. What a great privilege. What a great privilege. So the first thing I want us all to see is that we, as a body, want to live for Christ, to die as gain. So if God is calling you to lay down your life for the people of Park Baptist Church in your time, your talent, and your treasure, can I just ask you to count it a joy? That you would forsake all for the joy of Christ. Bobby preached on this a couple Sunday nights ago, and he says this from Ephesians 3.7. He reminded us, we became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the power, the working of his power. You are a servant of Christ. It is a gift by God's hand. Okay. The second thing about church covenant, it renews our, our pledges. It renews our pledges. Uh, when we first come to uh, get to know Christ, uh, we do it through a pledge. Uh, the Bible talks about baptism as our first pledge. 
is that we stand publicly before God's people and say, I renounce Satan in all his ways, and I'm committing my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Buried with him by baptism and raised to walk in the, in the newness of life. So in the, in the, in the book of uh, Romans, in Rome, there were a group of people who were saying, well, if I'm saved by grace, and God is going to forgive anything I do, why don't I just keep on sinning? That grace may abound. And Paul looked at them and says, by no means. How can you go on sinning who have died to sin? You, you have been bought with a price. You have been buried with Christ. Paul reminds those folks in Rome of their baptism. So when I interview people for baptism in our church, what I tell them is that I walk them through Romans 6 and I say, if there comes a time in your life when you're going to stop walking with Jesus, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, don't you remember you were baptized? You made a, you made a, 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 a commitment. You made a promise to God and to God's people. It's one of the reasons why when people get married, there's always witnesses there. Why? Because those people are holding that person accountable for that decision. Because if they ever stop wanting to live by that covenant, you look at them and say, you made a promise. You made a promise. You've got to keep it. And listen, we, we are prone to wander. We, we are prone to go after the, the things of this world. We need to be reminded to renew that promise to one another. And I, th- I think the easiest way to do that is the Lord's Supper. I think that's the way God has wired it. God has given us the Lord's Supper so that we renew our covenant with God and with each other. So when people stop taking the Lord's Supper, stop taking communion as a body, what they're doing is they're stop pledging their life to the Lord. That's a regular, ongoing thing. So what, what my prayer is, this may not, this may not fly. Uh, as your pastor, I think this is a good idea, um, and I'm going to propose it to you. Um, our, our new church covenant that I, that I want to do is I want us to read this either corporately or have an individual read it every single time we take the Lord's Supper to remind us that we do not primarily live unto ourselves, but unto God and to God's people. And I want us to remind ourselves of the promise of what it means to be a member of Park Baptist Church. There's a lot of churches in town doing lots of different things. And there's a lot of churches in town that will do things to, to drive you into the building. What I want, I want you to keep, I want you to stay here, right? And not stay here primarily because you like uh, the style of the things that we do. But I want you to stay here because you love Christ and you love each other. That's what we want to be built around, around the gospel of the Lord Christ, not around any particular style. Because that's what the world does. If you, want to, if you love bike riding, you can have a bike riding community. If you love doing CrossFit, I don't. I know you're shocked, right? You can find a whole community that, that, that does that. That is not surprising to the world. What is surprising when you have people who are from all different walks of life, all different nations, all different socioeconomic, racial, uh, age backgrounds, and they come together and they love each other like family. That is shocking to the world. So I'm going to read the, the, the church covenant that I want to propose. It's going to be on the screen. I sent in the forerunner a couple of weeks ago. Let me just read this. It says, Having as we trust been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to give up ourselves to him, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love 
as the member becomes the members of a Christian church. Exercise and an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from a symbolic grave, so there's now on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will continue, contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Every time I read that church covenant in, in view of this church, I am reminded of how I am not doing what I ought to be doing. Am I praying for people as I ought? Am I walking with people with tenderness and sympathy? Am I bearing each other's burdens and sorrows? Am I rejoicing with those who rejoice? Am I giving as much as I can for the glory of God's name and the spread of his gospel? When we read that, it's, it's not only a time that we are convicted of our own sin. It's a, it's a, a, a pledge that we are going to, to try and, and do more for God and his glory. And I think this is going to hold us together. Beloved, there are so many things that can tear us apart. Hear me. There are so many things that can tear our church apart. But if we commit to God and to one another to hold fast to one another, I think our church is going to be something special. So Church Covenant renews our great privilege, reminds us of that privilege, reminds us of these pledges. Next, it renews our practices. It renews our practices. And this is what we see in, in Nehemiah's day. We see this in Nehemiah's day. If you have your Bibles open, go back to chapter uh, 9, verse 38. So it says, in light of all this, okay, because of all that God has done in the history of God's people, what you see is you see them saying this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document of the names of our princes. Okay, so they kind of lay out how we're all going to sign this and we're going to affirm it. Now, this new church covenant, I'm not asking you to sign. I'm asking if you, when you become part of the church, this is just how we're going to govern how we live. Uh, so if you have a statement of faith, says this is what we believe. A church covenant says this is how we agree to live. I think those are two very important distinctions. We can say what we believe all day long, but until that is fleshed out in our day-to-day -day life, it does not become real. So in Nehemiah's day, there's three obligations that this church covenant, is, or this covenant of God's people is, uh, is in view. Go to chapter 10, beginning in verse uh, 28. It says, The rest of the peoples, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the, the singers, 
the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their daughters, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. So this is just a reminder of what the commitment is, right? Let us be cursed if we don't follow the law. Then he lays out three things. Every generation is going to have different, different things that are going to be emphasized. Right? Because every generation and every culture has different issues. Well, I don't think that the, the issues of uh, Nehemiah's day are that much different than our day. They may, the, how we work them out, are very, they may sound like, how are they really alike? But they really are very similar. The first is the, the purity of the people. The purity of the people. Look at verse 30. It says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So the first thing is that we will not give our children to those who worship false gods. We will, we will protect the, the, the oneness of our worship to God. Sounds like a very good practice for today, doesn't it? That we will not bow to the idols of our day, but we will serve Christ and Christ alone. That's what that's saying. We want to be pure in that. The second thing is that we want to honor the Sabbath. We want to honor the gathering of believers. Look what the the text says in verse 31. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy them, buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. People were coming in from the town to sell goods and in, in that day, to, to buy goods on the Sabbath was, was unholy. It was desecrating the day. So anyone who was doing that was showing themselves not to be a follower of the Lord. Listen, there are lots of things that are going to pull us away from honoring the Sabbath. Now, some of us can't make it to church on Sunday because of work. Right? We live in a day that, you know, a lot of the early Christians, they would go to church early in the morning, 6, 7, 8 o'clock, and then go to work all day. They had to do it in secret, meeting in caves. And then they went to work. We, we celebrate on the, on, on the Lord's Day on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. But I, I think if we take that by, by principle, there's a lot of folks who do not honor the Sabbath, in tens, in tens, in meaning that they do not make it a priority to be with God's people on Sunday morning. Or Sunday evening. Or Wednesday night, if you can't make it to Sunday morning. The, 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 the very definition of a church is the gathering. Ecclesia, the assembly. You can't do the church covenant things, walking, praying, living among one another, unless you are together, unless you know each other. And this is not only showing up on Sunday. It's showing up with a heart and a mind ready to serve and get to know God's people. There's some of you that you don't know each other. Now, there's practical things that we can do better, like a church directory, and we have events that you get to know one another. But when's the last time that you stepped outside of your comfort zone, walked across the sanctuary, and met someone you didn't know? Because you knew that they were part of the body of Christ. That they were a member here, and you were under obligation to walk with them in brotherly love and sympathy and tenderness. That's what's going to keep us together when, when society is changing all, all around on us. The next thing we see is the honoring of our money. The next thing, verse 32. 
we will, get, we will also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. You will give your money to, to keep up the ministry of the sanctuary. God asks you to do the same today. To use your money to the, for the upbringing of the gospel in our, our congregation. To the spread of the gospel for the glory of God's people. Now, why does God ask you for your money? Well, he, wants your, he wants your heart. God doesn't want just 10% of your money. God wants all your money. Doesn't mean you have to write a check in your bank account to get everything you have to the church. But listen, all the money in your bank account is a gift from God's hand. Everything you own, the clothes on your back, the shoes on your feet, is a gift to you by God. None of your resources are your own. They all belong to God. We want to use it for His glory. And the more we, we invest in God's kingdom, the more our hearts grow for the Lord. We'll just keep turning in, in Nehemiah 13. They, they, they pass this covenant to keep these reforms, and guess what happens? Israel has a hard time obeying God's covenant. They have a hard time keeping their word, keeping their promise. Look at verse chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. Nehemiah is speaking. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. And all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. And I pointed as treasures over the storehouses of these folks. Verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And do not wipe away my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. People stopped giving to the church. Stop giving to the church of the dead at the temple. Nehemiah 13, 17, and 18. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, Why is this evil thing that you are doing? Profaning the Sabbath. Did not your fathers act in this way? Did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. They made promises to do something and they're not keeping it. Do you think this idea of regular reminding us is, is a good thing? Lastly, they weren't honoring their Savior. Nehemiah 13, 23. In those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashad, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashad. And they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. That's aggressive. I won't recommend that. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, I shall not give your daughters to their sons and take their daughters for your sons or for, your, for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? So Nehemiah comes back and he says, these are the things you must do. You, you made a promise. Keep it. Just think about today. You know, the average Christian in America attends worship 50% of the time. The average Christian in America only makes it to the gathering of God's people 50% of the time. Now, I'm not talking about those who can't make it because they're physically ill and they, they just don't have the, the, the energy. I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about the able-bodied Christians who don't gather with God's people. 
50% of the time. The trend is, is that next year, the faithful church members are going to be less faithful than the year before. That's just the same across the board. Do you think that maybe we need to be a reminder that we will not forsake the gathering together of believers, as is the habit of some? Do we need to be reminded of the importance of gathering together as God's people and the privilege it is that we get to glorify God, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life and, and, and rose from the dead so that we can have hope and glory? That's what we get to do every single Sunday. We should wake up every Sunday morning ready to go to worship God together and sing his praises. You know, I don't think the average person wants to keep up the ministry of the church. The average Christian gives less than 3% of their income. The average Christian in America gives less than 3% of their income. Do you know that that is less than the time during the Great Depression? The problem is, is we have so much. We have so much, yet we give so little. That's not just... I'm not saying it's the people in this room. I'm just saying in general across the board. And I think there's a, probably the most important one, is there's not a a purity amongst God's people. We are not honoring Christ, our Savior, above all else. Jesus gave his blood so that we would be pure, that we would be cleansed from unrighteousness that we would not have filthy practices. We need to deny our ungodliness. Every single day when you step outside these walls, you are bombarded with ungodliness, right? That has many different forms, many different subtleties. The question for you and for me is, am I going to deny it? Am I going to trust Jesus? Do I want to love Jesus more than than the lust of my flesh, the desires of, of my heart? No, I want my desires to be God's desires. Every time you walk out these doors, that's what's going to happen. Well, let me close with these last two points briefly. Church covenant renews our proof. It renews our proof. Every time we recommit our lives to Christ, we're showing the world that Jesus Christ is real. My old pastor came to Christ because he he could never understand the 12 faithless Fearful apostles be willing to die for Christ. So that doesn't make any other sense except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we live like Christ is raised from the dead and our lives reflect it, we show the world that Christ is real. And when we don't, the world's not paying attention. <laughs> Lastly, A church covenant renews our protection. It renews our protection. Uh, Beloved, we are always in danger of being self-deceived, thinking that we are are in a a better place than we actually are. When we covenant and commit ourselves, promise ourselves to one another and to God, what it does is it protects us from thinking that we're okay. I've had many people who think that that what they're doing is completely okay by by God, and, and looking at the Scriptures, it's just not okay. They're self-deceived. Being in this community together helps us from our own self-deception. It also helps guard the body of Christ. It helps purify the body of Christ so that we will not be like the church of Ephesus to be here for 40 years or 115 years. No, we will be a church that lasts. Why? Because we want to protect the reputation of the body of Christ and how we live. 
And that might mean removing people who do not live by that covenant, who do not show themselves to be true to Christ. Because at the end of the day, the reason why church covenants exist is because we want to fight for the reputation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we live like God has called us to live, we reflect His glory to the world. We are His ambassadors here. So how we, we, we gather, how we live amongst each other every single week shows that Christ is real. It shows that Christ is loving and Christ is gracious and Christ is joyful and Christ is humble. When we do that amongst each other and when we do that amongst the world, we want to exalt Christ. Well, the only way that we as a body can exalt Christ is if we commit our lives to one another and to Christ. So I pray as we think about how we can protect our gathering, this will just be one tool. One tool like it was in Nehemiah's day, like it's been in churches uh, all throughout uh, this millennium. That we would use it as a tool to, to protect our body and protect the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the promises you have, have made to us that everyone who believes in Christ will be saved. We pray, God, that we as your people would covenant to one, with one another and live in such a way that would honor you. We ask this in Christ's name.